0: I am so proud of my tulips. We've got four white ones, two pink ones, and one and a half purple ones. There is one on the way and there are two more. I, I, play, I put these, um, these tulip bulbs in a pot before I left for the UK. And while I was away, they've all uh, popped up and started to blossom. And when I came home, they were just perfect. I've put them in in front of my house, uh, so on the porch, my front door, and uh, they 're a little bit uh, shielded from uh, from the rain because it has been a very wet springtime so far, so i didn't want to drown the the bulbs in the in water while I was away, so there's a little roof over the entrance of my of, uh, to my house, and so that uh Gives them the perfect spot to grow. And I'm now on my way to the woods to take my first stroll, my first walk in my familiar environment after having been away for two weeks. As you know, if you've listened to my previous podcasts of last week and the week before that. Maybe I should call this episode not The Walk, but... The hobble, as Inga suggested this morning, because I'm still not entirely healed from the big um, marathon that I ran uh, this past Sunday. Um, it was a marathon that I did not expect to run, but I did anyway. Um, I did very well. I was very, very happy with the result, but there's always a side effect after running a marathon at a, um, at a good speed my legs don't move anymore. And so on Monday, I could barely walk. I remember waking up after a a short night's sleep because I, uh, during the night, I would constantly wake up with pain in my legs. Every time I tried to shift positions, my legs were waking me up. I was like, don't do this. (laughs) And so after about five and a half hours, I woke up and I tried to get out of bed, but I couldn't lift myself from the bed my legs were just completely refusing to um, support my plans for that day (laughs) so that was really weird Um, thankfully over the course of the day they did start to obey me again but this is now day three of the recovery process and it's already a lot better than it was yesterday i still have a little bit of a cramp in my right leg but by tomorrow i should be I should be fine. but what a an amazing time it has been. And what a glorious day to share that with you, because the sun is shining and um it's still a bit chilly we've had a a, a quite uncommonly cold springtime so far, but I can still feel the warmth of the sun on my skin, and uh nature is now starting to be at its best even the big trees here on my left in the park are starting to get these this this kind of brownish greenish haze so they've probably i'm not sure if these blossom but they do they are developing tiny leaves so in a few weeks from now this will all be green there's an unusual amount of traffic here on the road um that i follow to get to the woods because they are working um, in various places here in and around the village to improve the situation for traffic. And most importantly, and I'm super happy with that, for bikes. So they're going to turn a number of these formerly you know, car lanes into bike priority lanes. Which means that uh, for, for bikes, they will change the color of the, um, of the road itself. Normally for cars it's black. For bikes, it's usually red, or like a a very faint red. And apparently they're going to do that for a number of roads here to uh, improve the flow of traffic, especially for for bikers. Um, uh, So for bicycle riders, I should call them, because bikers, I think, is also motorized bikers. We don't want those because they make a lot of noise. But uh, the more regular bikes, the merrier. And since I don't have a car anymore, and I do rely on my own bike to get from one from A to B, I can only be happy with uh, those improvements. But it does result in a lot more traffic trying to kind of find their way around the village because oh, that was um, a grandmother with a baby on the bike, or a young child on the bike. This is very common in the Netherlands. You will see people, parents also on the bike, they will have one kid in the front sitting on a, in a, a small chair uh, fixed, affixed to the, to the how do you call that? the steering wheel, it's not really a wheel but the handlebars I think you call them and, uh, and then one kid in the back also in a tiny chair um, which I think would, would really frighten a lot of parents in other countries but as you know we are very bike friendly country they've they've actually done some research um, recently that came in the news uh, that shows that there are actually more um, casualties now in traffic bike related casualties but caveat is they're all from people above the age of 75 that are riding um, electric bikes so bikes with a little help that uh, makes them go much faster than is actually prudent for if, if you are of that age. And so, but in other areas of the population, there, are, there's no significant change in bike safety. That's one of the things that, uh, that I wanted to explore when I went to the UK is, can I come back next time and, and ride my bike through England? That seemed to me like such a wonderful thing to do, but Even though I was surprised to see how much bike-friendly a city like London actually is, I always thought of London as a super busy city with uh, lots of traffic. And um, there are, especially in and around the parks, but also in the rest of the city, quite a few specific bike lanes. And you see uh, especially a lot of young people um, moving around on bikes. There are even these uh, uh, bikes that you can rent um, they, I think they're also motorized, so that would be another option, instead of taking my bike to England to just go um, from city to city by public transport, by train, and then just rent a bike whenever I want to move along. And this is, um, this is important for me because, as you know, uh, I always like to take you along on these journeys, and I had such a blast recording old-fashioned what i call sound seeing episodes it's a very old term from the the dawn of podcasting uh, but to be your guide and to record kind of like a walk but it was not just me walking through the woods and sharing with you what's going on in my life but it was also exploring stuff and going into churches and walking over bridges and describing the architecture it was so much fun and it made me realize that uh, that maybe this is something I want to do more often. I'm still kind of uh, letting that rest. I don't want to immediately jump onto a new project but I do miss it and uh, I, I had I had a lot of fun. I hope for you it was also fun to listen to. Uh, if you're only listening to The Walk... Uh, because the break is just not for you, that's totally possible. You may want to make an exception and listen to the last episode of the uh, last week's episode of the break. I think it's uh, week fifteen. Should be able to find it on FatherRoderick.com because that whole episode of the break is a walk from um, from one marketplace, a Victorian marketplace, to um, a very um, Cozy neighborhood marketplace, under a uh, under a bridge or under a train uh, number of train tracks. That uh, that the, that was a lot of fun to do. And then from there, wait, no, that was the walk actually that I'm describing. You see how all this starts to blend together. Let me go to the right here. This is the beginning of the of the woods, and I'm now. Uh, going westward or actually this is mm, southwest judging from the sun and oh boy yeah it is getting greener finally because these are very old trees tall trees so they take a long time to to develop their leaves but it's getting there um uh, let me go here to the left Uh, so the break itself was um was another experiment where i recorded the whole episode while walking from um baker street this was the last day that i was in in london i'd already um left the hotel in the morning i was carrying um my backpack and my sports bag with all my clothes and equipment that i'd used over the past two weeks and so i i still had about an, a day a short day to walk around in London, and I wanted to go to Baker Street um, to see a few things that uh, my friend John Domick had recommended i see so the Beatles store and the the uh, sherlock holmes museum and then i I walked around in that neighborhood, took the underground to uh, the station, and then I continued to record in in small pieces uh, the the whole journey home. Uh, all the way up to the, 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 the bridge of the, of the boat, where it was super cold and extremely windy, uh, was a, quite a challenge for my little uh, audio recorder that I'm currently also using, because even with this huge dead cat wind cap that I have to protect it from the influence of the wind, I did have to go um, in, in, into my audio editing software and uh and fix some of the problematic spots and i didn't even got i, I wasn't able to get rid of of all the wind noise but uh, all in all i was pretty happy of how that episode turned out and it's it's like an entire journey and i wanted to give people listeners the feeling that they're traveling with me well that as a format is something that i've i've done for years in the, in the early years if you or a long time listener you will remember that it was called the, the Catholic Insider at the time because I was mostly doing that in Rome and uh, during big events like the death of a Pope or the election of a, of a new one uh, but then I started to also do that while I was on vacation so in, I have a series that I recorded in China in France in Spain they're no longer online as far as I know uh, after we um, separated from SQPN um, and, and started to do more video, uh, we we also um, kind of divided the the whole archive of podcasts into what was more personal. So that was that was like the Catholic Insider or the Break, or at the time it was called the Daily Breakfast. So we we uh, we took over all those podcasts and then uh, SQPN did all the secrets of Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, Star Wars Doctor Who, all that stuff and they're still doing a terrific job with with those series um, but we never really brought it back online because a lot of those um, audio episodes um, were covering events that are now part of our history You know, it's, would you really want to listen to 10 hours of coverage of a conclave <laughs> if it's about Pope Benedict, you know <laughs> um, But I am, I'm still Interested in bringing, it, bringing Those episodes back online In some way or another Because Now it's no longer about how relevant These episodes are, but they are also Podcast history they are, they're, they're like a time capsule In a certain way, you can go back to Father Roderick 15 years ago <laughs> And uh, you can hear how I sounded back then, and what the world looked like back then, and um, and it's real. It's storytelling. That's what I like about those episodes. All right, this is another test for my for my for my uh, audio recorder. It's a lot more windy here. There's an open field. I see at least six dogs chasing each other. So I'm gonna turn left because the last time uh, this recorder met a dog, it didn't end well for my recorder. Oh my gosh, in case you missed that episode, I was on the London Bridge, I think, and uh, there was this guy with a a huxie dog, Um, you know, one of those kind of more wolf-like dogs, and a very playful dog, I think it was still a very young dog, and he took a bite out of my recorder. He saw the windshield and thought it was a toy or an animal, so he just grabbed it with his mouth. I even have a photo with with dog drool to prove it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll let, I'll let these dogs just do their thing and I'll I'll do my thing. All in all, um for 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 my work, uh recording the podcast, oh, that's my watch telling me how happy it is that I'm walking again. It's probably telling me, you know, are you walking? Do you want me to record this? Oh, it actually already is. Oh, nice! I didn't even know it did that automatically. Um, so, uh, both filming and audio recording was a, was so much fun, and uh, this this kind of joins the topic that I wanted to uh, share with you today, and that is how much um, I, I rediscovered again the value of contentment, and. Uh, I've, 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 as you know, struggled with this whole trip. It just seemed so long. And it was long. It was two weeks. And usually when I go on a trip, it's five days because I want to, I want to be in the parish during the weekends for Sunday Mass. But in this case, that was not possible. It was not feasible. So it was two weeks without my usual routines. And you know how much I, I love my routines and having my my daily schedule of things to do, it also helps me to um, keep a, a a grip on on my overall balance. Uh, but when I'm away, all those kind of things that I normally do, my normal environment, my own bed, it all it's all gone, so it's a bit of a risk because i don't I didn't know what hotel I booked and if it was any good. I didn't know uh, how to travel in England, and uh, there was a lot to figure out. But I'm so glad I went anyway, despite the fact that I didn't figure it out in advance. And uh, as usual, it all comes together, and there was truly um, a providential flow in, in the whole visit. And I had the time of my life and I think it is because once I stepped on the boat, I just let it go. I was like, you know what? We're gonna have fun. I'm gonna, gonna focus on, on 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 each experience, on each and every day. We'll take it as it is. Uh, the weather, <laughs> eventual, you know, issues that arise, or uh, where I'm going to eat. We'll just, I'll just ask for help if necessary. And um, I'm, I'm very grateful for. Um, some of my friends in England that helped me out during the trip to, uh, uh, to to guide me and nudge me in the right direction to have a good time. Of course I'm very grateful to Liz and Michiel who uh, who invited me into their home for uh, for a week in, in Leicester which was an absolutely amazing time and they're such wonderful people um, and, and to meet Neve the dog who's a, a Labrador so incredibly kind and uh, and well trained it was truly the highlight of my whole trip and then back to the busyness of london for the star wars convention and uh, to be able to film there it was all what i discovered was the, the the secret the clue the secret clue you should say hey there's a dog oh it's a collie it's a, a sheepdog these are usually running around the the sheep t- to to herd them, um, but it doesn't seem to be interested in in my audio recorder, which is you know good <laughs> But the secret key to um, contentment is to not set the bar too high. Um, and I don't mean that you shouldn't be ambitious, because the whole trip was quite ambitious. I haven't done a big trip like this for years. It was long before COVID that I did my last big production trip. Um, and this one was uh, was was quite quite a journey and quite a project. But I didn't set myself impossible goals. I didn't tell myself, hey, I should um produce like three documentaries and pre plan everything. So I I I did what I could and every time I discovered oh I've I I thought this was going to be easier but it's more complicated. I need a little bit more uh time or I just run out of time. I just let it go. Like that's not a problem. Nobody um Nobody tells me that I should do this. I'm only setting goals for myself. And so, the quickest way to find your balance again is to just go with how you feel. And uh, I always think of every day as a gift that has a certain amount of potential. Um, and, but the f- how you realize that potential depends, of, of course, also on the amount of energy, on the circumstances that are given to you. And all of that is out of my control. I don't know exactly how well I'm going to sleep because if there's a lot of noise outside, I may uh, wake up in the middle of the night several times. I'll be much more tired the next day, so I won't be able to work as hard as when I'm super fit. The same thing for running. I was still in this process of tapering, which is in the final weeks before a big marathon, like I ran on on Sunday. Um, You are still supposed to run, and at the same time, uh, you have to take it easy. It's like slow runs, and uh, but that tapering process is is very important. You cannot, um, if you do too much, you start the race with, uh, with with your muscles, your leg muscles still in recovery, and that of course will negatively impact the race. If you don't do anything, then that too can have an adverse effect on the. On your fitness and not really on on the, on your kind of basic condition because that is built up over the course of what is it 14 weeks of training but it does uh it does affect kind of the the blood flow to the muscles and everything so i had to let that go as well i was in london and i the first few days i was walking so much <laughs> i was walking for hours and hours if you were um, part of my patreon community and you know that on Discord, I have created a channel where every day, over the course of this whole journey, I posted photos and little stories. And, and you, you will have witnessed how incredible, how incredibly far I walked on those first few days. I didn't use the underground yet. So I already knew this is not good for my legs, but I'll let it go. Then I did, I think one, no, I did two runs but barely did the prescribed distance. And so again, I'm like, well let it go. That whole marathon, that's just a goal that I set myself. Nobody tells me to do this. It's not that, it's a sin not to run the marathon. <laughs> this trip was, um, came up long after I had uh, signed up for the, for the marathon. So, well, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And there will be other marathons. I'm not going to um, put myself under too much pressure for this, because I run because it, I like it, and I, it's for me. It's a, it, having a marathon on the horizon gives me motivation um, and motivates me. But it's entirely artificial. I created that goal, and it worked because I am fit. But it shouldn't be this oppressive. Like if you don't you're going to be doomed forever. No, it's just a marathon. Um, so once I let that go, it was much easier to enjoy just what every day brought. And then the other thing is there, there, um, there is still this kind of lingering temptation to think that if I go on a journey like this, it is, I know it isn't, but it, it might be perceived by some as vacation. That's how my parishioners called it if they knew that i was away it's like oh i hope you have a great vacation and it is not it was never meant to be a vacation it was meant to be uh part of my of my mission to reach out to the geeks and the young people and to be there and to connect and to tell stories and to bridge the bridge the world build a bridge between the world of in this case, Star Wars or storytelling like I did in the first week. And uh, and the Bible and faith. But I know that for many people, you know, if you go on a trip to the UK to and visit London and post nice photos of all sorts of sightseeing things, it does come across as a vacation. So there was this lingering temptation to constantly... Um, project or communicate that, no, I'm working. I'm working on, on a documentary. I'm actually I'm working on two documentaries. And, yeah, I did have ideas. But I also knew not to step into this trap and to focus on um, just going with the flow. And also in, to enjoy the experience. Because I know that m- the more I enjoy what I do, the better I do it. You know, it's like... Um, I had this whole... Um, realization recently that one of the reasons that I sometimes get stuck with my YouTube channel and with TikTok is that I let it become a chore and it's, I, it's no longer me sharing my enthusiasm about the stories that I love and, and just being myself which is what works the best on YouTube but no, I sit down and feel like I have to study everything and, and then it, it gets more and more work because perfectionism drives me to constantly reschedule the moment of truly recording and editing the stuff because I want it to be some kind of proof of the validity of of my work and my life and eh, I I felt that in the back of my mind and I immediately told myself let's not go there yes I will certainly do something creative with this these two weeks the main goal is not the end result the goal here is to have a good journey and to bring people along and if i try to overdo the planning aspect of it uh, of course i won't make my i won't be able to attain those goals because so much of this whole process is not in my control but i could also miss out on a lot of encounters and interesting opportunities because i'm so fixated on what i think should be done and so it was all a very good exercise in letting go and let providence just um guide me which is absolutely what what worked i think i shared that with you already in the previous episode my my watch is so happy that i'm walking <laughs> it's like i i missed walking um so the uh the, the the Holy Week, of course, was a big question mark. I I didn't really know how that would turn out. And it's by sheer providence that I ended up in that parish very close to my hotel and had this amazing Holy Week uh, with this multicultural parish with such an inspiring and enthusiastic crowd. Uh, I, I've never seen so many people in church for the Tritium in, in the Netherlands. The tritium is barely visited. It's mostly the elderly that still come to those celebrations. They're not all masses, as you know, because they're on a weird day. It's Thursday and Friday, and sometimes this stuff isn't, you know, on on, on very um, unhelpful times, <laughs> like, like the way of the cross at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, most people just work, so they can't come and the same is true for evenings. You know, if you have uh, Holy Holy Thursday, it's super important for the in the Catholic liturgy. It's very important for, for priests, but for a lot of people, this is unattainable because they have kids, they have um, they have work, they they may not be able to get back home in time, etc., etc. So, but I was surprised how many people came to those celebrations in in London. Or in the suburb of London, and it was heartwarming. I was like, "Okay, see, <laughs> the church is not the same everywhere, and it's you know, it's a, it's a wonderful experience to be not in the Netherlands for a change." And I also really um, enjoyed the style of the parish. So the, the the priest, uh, uh, Father Edward, was uh, from Poland. He's a missionary priest. He's from a missionary congregation. And what I really appreciate about what he did and how he did those celebrations was he was so relaxed and calm. Um, so he would hear confessions until like five minutes before the celebration. Then he walks into the sacristy, sees that there is a Dutch priest, and he was like, okay, you want to come along? Sure, yeah, by all means, please, can celebrate. And then uh, during, this is, in, it, this is kind, kind of complicated liturgy, um, but he stayed calm and friendly and I don't know it just made it feel like effortless which is uh, not something I usually associate with paschal liturgy it's usually very stressful and there's so much to think of but not father edward so all in all uh, for me as a priest an incredibly enriching experience very inspiring I made some wonderful new contacts with the people there and I know that I'm always welcome whenever I get back to London. Um, I, I can come, come back to that church and, and find a community that, uh, uh, that welcomes me. And that's wonderful. And I did not plan any of that. Uh, the same thing with, uh, with how the, the Star Wars celebration un, un, unrolled. I had, of course, hoped for certain things. To occur but um it was all very different from what i expected uh, last year i had so much luck that rob uh, rob cubasco had prepared everything in advance and and it was just this whirlwind tour of from panel to panel to photo shoot with Ian, Ian mcgregor and it, it was that we went to disneyland and visited the star wars it was, it was the whole Those, what was it, three days were so uh, filled to the brim with amazing experiences. Whereas this time, what I did most of the time, like 80% of the time, I was just walking around. I had had no access to the big panels. Um, I was unable to figure out what happened where because it's such a big place. And um, again, I did not really plan anything in advance. But what i did learn was to after day 1 day 1 was the day that i as you may remember uh tried to follow a lot of the panels the on the the live stage so you are able to go back to their youtube channel and and rewatch all those panels i highly recommend that because they were super interesting and and a lot of fun that was the only day that i just wanted to dedicate to seeing the actors and the writers and the directors but then At the end of that day, I told myself, no, I'm not going to do this for another three days. Let's just see where providence will lead me. And that resulted in, in all these wonderful encounters and conversations, some of which are also filmed and I can use them in my compilations and in the documentary that I'm editing. But a lot of those conversations aren't. They just take place when I'm waiting in line to get a cup of coffee and someone walks up to me, uh, you know a father with his kid or um, a, a fan from from Scotland or Ireland or Poland, and they walk up to me gosh, I cannot believe my luck that I that that you that I bump into father Roderick here I've been listening to your stuff for years, and then they tell me about their life and about their f- passion for Star Wars and there were so many great encounters there and that made me just feel so much th- th- um to realize that this this is this is my place i this is what i do i w- i am among my parishioners to a certain extent and of course it's not a formal par- parish and there, there's a lot in the parish life that of course i cannot realize in this current apostolate but then again there are also a lot of things a lot of dimensions to this kind of work that i do that let me see i'm on a cross crossing here i can go right continue ahead but that's going to i'm going to the left i'm going to try to walk into in a circle so i get back home in time to, uh, to edit some more before lunchtime i can't believe how quiet it is and no dogs here very rare and uh, my legs are feeling okay i i, I I thought this would be maybe too much of a hobble, but I can still walk. I think it's good for my legs to get a little bit of of movement. Um, But this is my specific ministry, and it's all about the relational aspect of my work. It's not just about teaching or explaining, but it's also about connecting. And those encounters brought so much um, it was, it's, it's not one-way communication. It's, these encounters have enriched me. I, I, I cherish these moments and these memories, and I always made sure that I took a selfie at least at the end of the conversation, even if I wasn't recording, because I want to remember these people. And maybe if I go back to events like this, I will encounter them again. This is how um, I feel that over, over the years I've built up a very big group of friends and, and a lot of them are not following me on social media they're not listening to my podcasts and yet I do consider them to be just as much part of my, of my parish <laughs> of my, my community as I, uh, as I consider my, my, my podcast listeners and, and followers on, on social media so none of that would have happened I think if I had overplanned this trip and, um, and also there were so many moments in between the, these encounters that I just walked around and I was just taking it in just as much as I'm walking here in the woods and I'm like oh I love being here I love doing this and that's how I felt in London there was no stress there was no concern there was no pressure it's just I love being here this is this is just such a gift and I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm, I don't feel guilty about maybe not doing enough or I should be at home. And No, this is my place. That was the deep conviction that I ha- had and still have. And it's liberating because it was a confirmation that this is, this is the way, as the Mandalorians say. <laughs> this is the way that I, I feel that God is, is guiding me on. And so I want to, uh, and, and this is part of how can you know what God wants. Uh, a an important aspect of the discernment process is is um, if you feel at peace. If you feel this glow of friendship, it's it's that is just pure goodness, and goodness ultimately comes from the source of all goodness, and that is God. So where where there's friendship, God is there. And this is what I felt walking around in this, for most of my colleagues, very strange environment. Um, But I feel that I am carried in a certain way on the wings of this friendship. Um, So my feeling has always been missionary work is not just um, convincing people to believe or or explicitly evangelizing and and preaching that that may ultimately be part of the missionary process but mission itself as a term is to be sent to the people Jesus when he when he is sent by his father is not always sent to places where it's immediately obvious that it's part of his job like the first place that the holy spirit sends Jesus, is into the desert, what's he going to do there for 40 days? He's not going to meet anyone. It's not productive. He's not going to write homilies or <laughs> or produce anything. He's just there because his father is there. And it's a relational uh, dimension of his life. For 40 days, he's there fasting and praying. So and those are, the fasting, of course, is to help him focus more on the relationship with his father that he knows is his only true nourishment. And and later on, when he returns from the desert and he starts his mission, um, he's often in places where the, the people that work in the synagogues and the temple would never come because, you know, eh, that's not part of our world. We don't go there. We have more important things to do. Um, and, and they will even actively avoid some of the places where Jesus goes. If he, when Jesus goes to the sick or to the lepers or, you know, the blind beggar who's sitting in, in front of the, one of the uh, gates of uh, of the city, Jesus stops, and he makes a connection. And he, I, I always remember in 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 one of these conversations, Jesus asks. Um, a disabled person, what do you want? What do you want me to do? So he's not there like, let me tell you how God is guiding you through this blindness. <laughs> no, Jesus, what can I do for you? And then the blind man is, well, I would like to see, can you do that? And Jesus yeah, sure. <laughs> let me fix that. And so there is almost no preaching involved Jesus affirms the good that is already in this man the faith of this man he but he does it while at the same time just healing someone which is helpful for that man but you could wonder if that's very productive for the overall mission of Jesus now in hindsight we know it is because it is all these miracles are token moments that that show us who who Jesus truly is and what the intentions of his father are. He's not here to condemn. He's here to save. He's not uh, there to be to be venerated and worshipped. Uh, now he's he's there to carry us. Um, but I feel like there there is a sort of an organic quality to the journey that Jesus himself makes with his apostles that is so far beyond any, you know. it's it's so different from how often we construct our lives around productivity around you know we need to prove ourselves we need to make ourselves useful there's a lot of meandering in in Jesus life and praying and all sorts of things where there is no immediate fruit of that other than what's happening in that moment, the connection that he makes with his friends and with the the people that he encounters. And since my life as a priest is supposed to be in the footsteps of Jesus, I realized in these past two weeks, this is what's happening right right here and now. I am traveling, I am walking to places where um, the church doesn't often go, but I am also part of this church and I feel that God is sending me here And I don't even know exactly what God has in store uh, and, and where he wants me to go. But I'm confident that he will guide me to the people that I need to meet. And from the feedback that I got, that is exactly what I was able to be for a number of people that I met. And also vice versa. I feel that God has put some people on my path over these two weeks that I needed to talk to. That gave me something that helped me. And there's still a lot to process, but it made the whole experience so incredibly rich that I feel I can, I can say with confidence that I should do this more often. <laughs> I am going to do this more often. This year is, um, I think, going to be an alternation between travel, storytelling, meeting people, and then sharing those experiences with you. And uh, this is why since I came back, I've been editing again and I love it. I, I enjoy it because I feel this is, this is so beautiful what happened there and I can't wait to share that. It's, that. That's the cool thing with beauty and with wonderful discoveries. It's fun when you discover it for yourself, but it's even more fun to share it. Like if you see a wonderful sunset most of us will just grab their cell phone and just take a picture put it on instagram or or uh, anywhere else uh, because beauty just drives you to share it Ah, this is this is uh uh, the open field where yesterday evening my fellow runners have been training Uh, our our uh, african trainer posted a few photos and videos of the training (laughs) and i was a bit sad that i wasn't there because those are those are my friends but i i, I it would would have been so imprudent after a marathon you need to uh, take a couple of days of, of complete rest uh, before you start training again so maybe tomorrow on thursday i've decided to actually uh, join um the long distance group so i'm part of an athletic um organization uh And I've only been training on Saturdays for the past few months um, because I was doing my own schedule for the marathon preparation. But on Tuesdays, there's normally also training here, but that's more like speed training and interval training. And then on Thursday, there's another group. And some of them actually ran the same marathon that I did, but I didn't know them because I never trained together. And so on Thursday evening, around 7 p.m., they always train for about an hour and a half, And a lot of the members of that group are definitely in the league above mine. Um, I saw that a number of them went to Rotterdam to run the Rotterdam Marathon, and I'm just stupefied when I see their times. So I ran my marathon in four hours and uh, seven minutes and 47 seconds, which was my personal record. Um, But most of those people ran, like, in three and a half hours, or there was even one guy who ran the entire marathon in two hours and 30 minutes. Now, we're talking about youngsters. <laughs> They're in their 30s. So obviously, um, since I'm in my 50s, there's no way that I could ever uh, reach that particular speed or, or the train that I could run at, at, those, um, at those speeds. But I do believe that I have it in me to run faster than I ran this previous one. So I want to join this Thursday group as well. That will give me three times a week where I train. um, And my goal is to run another marathon in October or maybe November. Maybe I'll I'll run the Marathon of Amsterdam, which which is uh, similar to the Rotterdam Marathon. It's a city marathon. And try to get to, well, let's say three hours and 30 minutes. That is super ambitious. That's a very... Right now, it feels like an unattainable goal because I even for this marathon, I trained to run a marathon in three hours and 50 minutes, and it was all I was helped by the trainers. They they came up with this whole schedule that I had to follow. None of that worked out for me. I I couldn't do it. I got injured at one point, and then I had uh, these recurring moments of fatigue that you may remember. So that often made me skip sometimes an entire week of training. So my training was absolutely not what it should have been. And then especially those two last weeks in London made me realize that, no, I'm probably not going to run a marathon at all. But here's, what I, here's how this connects to what I just talked about, uh, this whole idea of contentment, and how to be content. It's whenever you feel like hey, I need to reset my goals or recalibrate my goals, do it as quickly as possible and enjoy the feeling that you are able to meet those recalibrated goals. Don't fuzz about, oh, but I should have run much faster and if only I hadn't been so tired, I could have run more. No, your happiness can be severely um, impacted by you setting impossible goals. And so you cannot always change the circumstances. You don't have impacts on a lot of things that happen in life around you. What you do have impact on and influence on is how you look at the world and how you... Like, well, what is the cause of so much frustration in families, in your work life, and maybe even in the parish? Is always, you have this ideal. It should be like this. Reality should be like this. But then reality is not that. You know, I want to this week, I want to start on Monday. I'm going to work so well. I'm going to be happy at the end of the day. And then on Monday, you feel terrible. And you didn't sleep well. And you wake up and you're all like, oh, man, this is not going to be a good day. There are two things you can do. You can either mourn the fact that it didn't go as you wanted it to go. Or you just accept it. And you say, well, well but, but what, what can I do? And maybe doing nothing can also be a goal. Like, I I feel bad today. I I didn't sleep well. I I don't know what's going on today. I just had to have a bad day. But there's one good thing that I can do. And that is to allow myself to rest. I'll accept the situation as is. I cannot do magic. (laughs) So instead, I'll just take good care of myself. It's okay. I'm going to be patient with myself. I'm going to develop a certain amount of mercy towards my myself I forgive myself for not maybe meeting those demands and, and I am I'm still going to be happy with whatever happens today and that gets rid of usually of the frustration of the tension two big dogs running there chasing each other that's better than chasing me although you never know once they see my windshield <laughs> hello Oh ja, Kom. dat dacht ik al. Nee. Boeij. Nee. Nee. Ja. nee, dat is geen Boeij. speeltje. Nee, 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 nee. Nee, Kom hier. nee, 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 nee. denken nee. ja. denk ze dat het een speeltje is en dan. Uh... Ik had de laatste ook een. die had het gewoon in zijn bek.
1: Ja, het is een soort.
0: Ja, ze soort... ja, soort... zijn nog jong denk ik, hè? Hier, Kom hier, denk ramen hè? <laughs> I mean these two dogs are very enthusiastic as you <laughs> And they were coming after me but now there's another dog. I've hidden the no nee. good 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 Oh there's another poor dog that is now has taken the place of my of my recorder Oh my gosh that ended just well that was <laughs> that almost went wrong Thankfully, the owner was a bit more uh, in control than some of <sighs> some of these dog owners that I met in the past. Wow, okay, so the trick is, always leave my coat open. So the moment I see dogs walking towards me, I have to do this, and then, like I'm, it's like Grogu, you know? I just shield Grogu. Maybe I should call this windshield Grogu or something. I'll come up with a name. <laughs> I'll just hide it under the protection of my coat. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> no drool on my microphone this time. Okay, so where was I? <laughs> yeah, so even in, in a, if you have a bad day and things are not going your way and you have um in the past maybe feel you may have felt unhappy, frustrated, disappointed in yourself. There's always something. There's always another choice you can make, and say, "Hey, I'm going to take good care of myself." If someone else would have a bad day, what would you do? You wouldn't. You wouldn't berate that person like, "Oh man, you should work harder." No, most of us, except for psychopaths and <laughs> narcissistic people, um, you would say, "Hey, take it easy. You know, don't don't worry about it. We all have our bad days," and uh, you would encourage people to take it as it is and so do that to yourself as well and and this is how i approached the the marathon i i knew uh after coming back from um the the journey i was so tired i didn't sleep at all on the boat after i i recorded my podcast maybe it was because i was trying to record a podcast on the boat and then my brain just went in overdrive but i didn't sleep much I was was exhausted and the time to register for the marathon was running out so my trainer had been calling me several times um, because he was going to come with a few of us to the city where I would run the marathon to encourage us so he wanted to get in touch and finally called him up and said hey I don't think I should run this marathon I don't think it's I'm so tired and I didn't train well and he said that 's not a problem, you know i I think you can do it you you've you've been in good shape you've done you know, maybe it wasn't a perfect training, but you don't have to you don't have to completely do what you, you originally planned to do well, what if you just aim for um, for a time in like four hours and twenty minutes? Just do that you run a lot slower than you did during your running just let go of that idea that you have to finish it and you know, under, under four hours, just, you know, aim for four hours and 20 minutes. I know that you can do it. And so I trusted him. Uh, that, for me, that was a really good moment to realize I am not the trainer here. He's got uh, decades of experience. He has run so many marathons himself. If he, if he thinks I can do it and he's been observing me uh, and, and my progress for, for months now, um, I should listen And that's what I did. So I signed up and I already went to the marathon and they picked us up with a car and we were four, five people in the car. Two of, um, or one of them would run his first half marathon. So he was kind of nervous. And then there were two seasoned marathon runners. One had already run a hundred marathons and uh, his wife was running her 50th marathon and she had been training also very hard to uh, meet a certain uh, time and then there was our, tra- our trainer and me and I was like I'm just I'm gonna go for finishing the race that's all I can hope for it's already quite something I'm proud of myself that I'm going to try it but if it doesn't work that too is an experience that I think is um, is going to be valuable failure is never truly a problem because you we learn from failing and so I was like I'm I'm going to do it just the fact of the act of trusting my trainer instead of 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 um, bailing myself out too easily that already is a win for me it means that I that I'm able to let go of my own fears and so, because I felt so free, um, I just had a great time, and uh, it was painful, it always is, a marathon is always painful, but when at the halfway point, I was starting to, my legs were starting to cramp up, and I am pretty up, uh, positive that this was, because I had been walking so much in London uh, over the past week, I... I was basically at the point where I could decide to stop and walk back or I could continue. And and I, I chose the latter. I was like, you know, we'll see. I'm just going to slow down a little bit, slow down even more because I wasn't running at top speed. And maybe this will... Maybe this will get worse. I can always stop. And then, you know, I it can always walk back. Or maybe it will... It will solve itself. And so I had uh, taken four tablets of paracetamol with me. So that's very mild uh, uh, pain, um, pain painkiller. I barely ever take paracetamol. Oh, let's see. One, two, three, four, five small dogs. Let's see if I have to hide. These are small, so I don't think they can jump up and grab my... My recorder, but still, I may want to hide it. Grogu here and <laughs> see what happens. Hey, buddy! Hello! Yeah, it worked. They did not see my recorder. <laughs> the, the the black dog. He was. He, he eyed my my windshield from the distance, and I hid it under my coat. And then he was like, "Oh, oh, it's gone. All right, I'll just move on. Move along." <laughs> but um uh i so i took i took f- uh, one of those pills um, when my legs started to cramp up, and I slowed down that 's basically what i did um, a, a couple of kilometers uh, after that i I took another one and and that basically fixed the problem. I still felt my legs i couldn 't give it everything I know that i uh, if my legs had cooperated, I could have easily run at least 15 minutes faster, but I chose not to, because the, my oh, my there was no bar, there was no goal. I was just I'm so glad that I'm still running, and then at one point, this is not a city marathon. It starts in the city, but then you go on the countryside, and I was running through a beautiful open area with meadows and uh, trees and cows, and it was all very idyllic there wasn't there were no almost no other runners around me because we started with the half marathon group so it was very crowded there were thousands of runners and then at one point all the half marathoners went their own way and that left me with an open road so I was running there as if I was running by myself and I remember at that time I felt the same as I felt when I was walking around in London and when I was walking around on the convention floor it's like this is where I, this is where I love to be. I love that I'm running. I love that even though my legs hurt, ooh, there's a quite a bit of wind. Even though um, I probably should not run, I am still, I'm still moving forward. I don't have to stop. I'm not out of breath. I can continue this and i love this <laughs> and so that's how i ended up running a personal record and at the the final kilometer i just sped up and i could just basically run it less than four minutes per kilometer uh, the, the, i could do the final the final uh stretch in a sprint which was insane <laughs> but it made me feel so good afterwards that i had trusted my trainer and and then we, we got back in the car and we uh, drove home and uh, some of the other runners were very disappointed. There was this one young woman and she had been competing on a professional level for many years and this was her first marathon and she, she was so down and was like oh, this was the worst experience ever. I had so much pain and I totally did not meet my goals and it was a disaster. Never again. I didn't know that she was a professional athlete, so I thought it's just you know someone in her, in her 20s, and there will be another marathon. So I tried to encourage her. It's like, yeah, we all think that <laughs> during our first race. Don't worry about it. A few weeks from now, you're you're gonna forget about the pain, and you're gonna feel like the challenge of of doing better next time. Just let it go. Enjoy it. It'd be be. What was your time? And then she said, oh, only only three hours and 20 minutes. It's like, woo I would. Die for a time like that. <laughs> so, but it, it, it made me realize once again: contentment, the key, the secret key to contentment is making sure that there is not much difference between your goals and the reality. And, and the, the, the reality also of what you, what you currently can do. Uh, life is a gift, my health is a gift. Uh, yes, I did work on, on the preparation, but sometimes life just goes in a different direction and I don't have the exact amount of energy that I need for the goal that I used to have. But then the key is just change the goal and, and be happy with what you can do. Focus on, on the grace of every, every moment instead of mourning whatever you, you feel entitled to get but didn't get. That usually results in either disappointed, disappointment or self-hatred, frustration, stress, all those bad things that make you feel bad. And But if you, if you approach yourself as if you were your own personal trainer, you, you start to talk differently. Or maybe, you know, on a level of our faith. Think of how God would talk to you. How does Jesus talk to the people that he meets it's not like dude what are you sitting here near the city gates yeah i know you're blind but you can still be useful and you know you just pick up yourself believe in yourself and set yourself some goals and (laughs) no jesus is let me help you let me i want to make time for you to wait for these cars to pass by and then i can cross the road Jesus asks the blind man, what can I do for you? But he doesn't set an impossible goal. In fact, he praises the man for what he already has, despite his blindness. He says, you have faith. That's amazing. That is what saves you. You know, so Jesus is very encouraging. And it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't uh, point a direction or that he doesn't... uh, challenge his apostles he does that all the time you know we have to go to jerusalem oh they're going to kill you yeah but we're still going to go (laughs) so but it's always on the basis of um, i think the feeling that jesus has that he is exactly where he's supposed to be and that even when bad things happen it's still part of god's plan There's nothing you can do. You're way too insignificant to think that you, your failure or lack of progress or whatever can hamper God's plan. (laughs) You overestimate your importance. But on the other hand, that's also liberating. You know, it's just do what you can do. And if God wants you to go in a certain direction, he will give you the grace that you need to do this. And I often think of uh, my my work and my life is a, uh, a bit of a, a ch- like a struggle between God's will and my will. And in the past, I've made the mistake very often to think that what I want is what God wants, only to discover that God is much more lenient and more merciful than I am towards myself. And it's this. It's discovering this. That I'm already loved. God already loves what I do. (laughs) Um, That why wouldn't I... Why wouldn't I um, adopt the same same view? uh, The same perspective? Um, Why would I be very merciful and patient towards other people and not towards myself? And this is... Uh, If you think of the Hobbit, uh, Frodo, or Bilbo, um, they, they go on an adventure because they feel pulled. But it's not because they're forced. No, the dwarves would love to hire Bilbo, and Gandalf is kind of nudging Bilbo to go along with the dwarves on this adventure. But he, initially he refuses. He's like, no. He faints when he, when he reads all the dangers that are ahead of him. But then the next morning he wakes up and he's alone in the, in, at Bag End. And, and everything is clean again and the dwarves are gone. And that's where he feels the pull. It's like, oh man, even though all of this was unexpected, I, I miss this fellowship. I miss these people. I want to be where they are. And then he he runs out of his house and down the hill. And like, I'm going on an adventure. And you can see the glee. And of course, afterwards, he has regretted that multiple times. <laughs> but this drive, this this is a positive drive. He doesn't go on this adventure because he's coerced or forced. But out of desire. And, and that creates energy. Well, this is how I want to approach my own, my own life and my own goals um, the contentment is not in what exactly you will be able to deliver in the end but the contentment is knowing I am where I should be I am making the journey that God has traced before me this is the way and that's enough when Jesus says, I am the way, uh, he, he does not define himself as, I am the goal. <laughs> no, I am the way. So walk with me. That's all I ask. And then we'll see where that leads us. But let's not worry about that now. Just walk with me. Trust me. Just as I had to learn to trust my trainer, even though I, don't, I didn't believe that I could do it. But my trainer knew that I could. And knowing that that actually worked out was so comforting and so gratifying and motivating to trust even more in the in the future well that is what i wanted to share with you um thank you so much for the privilege of your time thanks to those of you that are supporting me through patreon and if you're curious to see all my photos and relive my journey in the uk um, you can already become a patron starting at uh, what is it 250 per month so take a look at patreon.com slash Father And um, I'm glad to have you uh, as my fellowship on my journey through life. Talk to you later. God bless.